you can lose sight of the mission of why we're here. And if you don't spend time at the bedside with the clinicians and the support staff, it's very easy for that to happen. So I find the only way for me to ensure that does not happen to me is that every single month I am taking time, I'm taking hours of my day to learn and to experience and feel what happens every single day across the incredible teams that we have. Welcome to Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. I'm your host, Rebecca Corin. In today's episode, you'll hear from Dennis Delisle, Executive Director at University Hospital, Brain and Spine Hospital, and Ross Hart Hospital at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Dennis's background in space operations and excellence has given him a deep appreciation for hard work and dedication. It's not just about the big missions and the lofty goals. It's about the individuals, the people on the front line who really make it all possible. And that's why throughout his career, he's always been drawn to understanding the daily challenges workers face. Dennis has excelled in process improvement because he always wanted to be part of the solution, making it scalable and repeatable, and ultimately finding ways to make patients' lives easier. As his career has advanced, he's realized that there are even greater opportunities to make an impact, and today he shares some of those with us. Let's discover some of the transformative initiatives and powerful moments that Dennis has experienced. As a hospital executive, there's a lot of people that I found have had a similar career path where as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a physician. I went to undergrad as pre-med. And I like to say my midlife crisis was when I was about 2021, 20, when I realized I didn't want to be a doctor and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was in that moment where I started to talk with different people. And I had one professor in particular who really challenged me to think about why do you like healthcare? What is it about helping people? What is it about the science of medicine? And what are the skills that you might be able to leverage where you can still contribute, but it's going to look and feel different? And I didn't really know what that meant. So I started doing research, started to understand that there's a whole business around managing health systems, being a part of that work, being part of that team, but not necessarily a clinician. So I pursued a graduate degree in hospital administration. And what I found Within the first, I would say probably the first three to six months, it was my calling. There was something about the work, the environment that just really spoke to who I am as a person and the skill set that I bring as a leader. And I never knew that until I started going through that graduate program and working at a community hospital. So I think that really started the ignition of the drive and passion in healthcare. I had the opportunity as I finished my graduate program to do an administrative fellowship in Philadelphia at a large health system. And that was such a great opportunity for me to get a better understanding of the way I like to describe is how the system works, how the cogs of the machine are interconnected. And I find that so important because when you can understand from the board perspective down to the frontline staff employee, how decisions get made, how resources are allocated. The next role that you go into, whether it's a middle management role, something like that, you have a better sense of where you fit in that system. What are those teams you have to interrelate with? What are those dependencies or things that you have to consider as you make decisions, as you plan your work? I think as I had an opportunity over time to work in space in operational excellence, doing Lean Six Sigma, process improvement, quality improvement, it gave me a really great 
appreciation for those at the front line, the hard work that people do every single day, the challenges that they face that sometimes are very menial and simple, and yet day after day become death by a thousand cuts. That was really important for me to reflect on as I continued to advance in my career. And I had several other opportunities, for example, leading an EHR implementation across a system, both our ambulatory and inpatient settings. And when you talk about the interconnectedness of what we do, the EHR is a great example of the decisions we make in one area and the implications and the unknown consequences it may have in others. And I've been able to leverage that experience over time in my operational capacity to think more broadly and holistically about problems, about opportunities. And I think as a result, it's made me very inclusive in terms of how I think about the teams that need to be part of solutions. And importantly as well, connecting with staff who ultimately are the ones that are doing the work. So I think those are just a few examples as my career has progressed, some of those key moments and key learnings and that I continue to apply in my work today. It's interesting how you referred to the calling, because I think so many times clinicians will talk about their calling. And then when we think about the greater picture in healthcare and all the folks who aren't clinicians, but still work within our healthcare systems, they still work with patients at times or they're behind the scenes. I think many of them also feel that they are responding to a calling because maybe they're not providing the actual medicine and the care, but they are providing care as an extended care team. And so when you think about that and then about your role now as an executive, can you talk about that calling? And it's interesting because you were sharing it came out from an administrative perspective. Where did that come from? What was it that made you have that aha moment? And was there a story that you can remember or, or a time? It's a great question. Growing up, my mother was a nurse and she worked in a neuro ICU. She worked in an outpatient OBGYN clinic. She worked at an infertility clinic. She had such a wealth of experience. And when you're raised by a nurse, the caring, also the straight talk that you get when you engage with nursing, I think I always was connected to serving and helping others. And I definitely take that from my mother. So I always had this innate ability and interest in whatever I can do to help people is what I tended to do. And what I found over time my father was a very successful construction management executive over the course of his career. And there was a lot of elements of the engineering background that he has that I think I really have a good mix of the caring and compassion of a nurse and the engineering mind of somebody who can help organize systems and structures. What I would offer is when I think about the role as an administrative leader, one of the things that I do every single month, and I've done this for many years at this point, is I will take time to put on scrubs and I spend time with staff at the front line. And that could be a housekeeper, a surgeon, a nurse, a respiratory therapist. And I vary who I round with, who I shadow, and I spend several hours with staff. And as a non-clinician, I always find it so important. I once had an office that was directly below the ICU. And the footprint of my office was the same exact footprint as the ICU room above me. And I go up to the unit often and it was a constant reminder of the important work that we do. I do a lot of mentorship and what I'll offer to the administrative fellows, the graduate students that I mentor, jobs like mine can be a trap because we spend a lot of our time in meetings, reviewing presentations, reviewing financials, and we start to 
create an abstract view of the work that we do. And we forget when we look at the mortality index, when we look at the hospital acquired conditions per 1000 patient days, we begin to make these abstract numbers that we evaluate performance, but we forget that the mortality index is an individual who passed away. And to the staff at the bedside, it's the individual and their family that impacts them. So the trap really becomes, you can lose sight of the mission of why we're here. And if you don't spend time at the bedside with the clinicians and the support staff, it's very easy for that to happen. So I find the only way for me to ensure that does not happen to me is that every single month I am taking time, I'm taking hours of my day to learn and to experience and feel what happens every single day across the incredible teams that we have. I think that is so important because then when I'm in the room and we're making those important decisions about resources, about priorities, I feel much better connected to people's reality than what I perceive to be the reality based on reports or meetings that I might be in. Yeah. I think we can't help as people to bring our personal experiences into decisions that we make. And when you think about the decisions that you're making on a day-to-day -day basis that affect so many patients and thousands of healthcare workers, you think about that human element of the one and not the hundreds or the thousands. And it's that story that really helps you to see from the other side of the impact. And it's interesting, in so many conversations and moments move us, people will share their own personal stories of healthcare experiences that brought them into the work. I know for me, my experiences with my dad who suffers from chronic illnesses and just as a kid seeing it firsthand and what that did to me as an adult, as I grow up and now being an adult child of a parent who needs care regularly and what that's like for me and how that influences the work that we do at Wambi. And I think about how when you go to the bedside for you, it's creating that human element that needs to be there as you use the engineering part of your mind to think about all the blocks in the bigger picture and where the pieces fit. Yes. I think what's also interesting about healthcare, and you've had several people on your show who have also reflected this, which is the unique perspective that we have, which is the majority of the time we're employees, but there are times where we are the patient or one of our family members, just as you describe with your father, we are the family member of a patient. So what a unique opportunity to view things from a very different lens and then go back into the hospital with your suit back on or your scrubs back on as an employee. And if you pay attention and if you're present, you really get to understand the connection between the work that we do and the lives that we impact, both from an employee perspective and from a patient and family perspective. And in a similar way, I've had a variety of family and friend-related situations, both good and very difficult, that have reinforced to me the importance of what we do. And I think as somebody who's very internally driven, for me, it's all about having meaningful, purposeful work that is much more than what I can do as an individual. It's the work that we can do as a team. And that idea of team really, for me, I'm big into sports. I love using sports as analogies for the work that we do. And I think that for me, this is the best use of my energy and my time outside of being with my daughters and my wife is really pouring myself into how can I help our teams provide better care and a better experience, both for each other and for the patients that we serve. Definitely. 
Let's talk about teaming and teamness as you were talking about. And I want to hear some sports analogies too, because I love good sports analogies. Right now, we're in a really challenging time. We've been in a challenging time for years now. Uh, Prior to the pandemic, we had serious burnout. Then we had the pandemic, which was a confluence of lots of different challenges and revealing more challenges around health equity in so many areas. And now we have this sort of next phase of our work where people are really disheartened. There was a huge mass exodus of people from our industry. We have less talent pools to pull from. And I'm just thinking about what are some of the things that you're doing to help people stay connected to the work, feel joyful, and feel part of the team? Because we know that we are always better together and so much stronger when we look at how we are part of something more. And especially in healthcare, again, as we were talking before, many of us are responding to a calling that's so much bigger than just one individual choosing a job. I agree. I think as an employee of Ohio State, I'm almost required to use football as the analogy when we talk about sports. And what I love about football as an analogy, and for those listeners that don't watch or understand football, I apologize in advance. If you do, hopefully you'll track with the analogy. The way I think about football is you have offense, you have defense, you have special teams, you're on the field at different times, your objectives are different. Offense to score, defense to prevent the team from scoring, special teams might be about field position. You also have a head coach, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, you have a strength and conditioning coach. Some stand on the field, some are up in the stands and they're looking at the whole picture of what's happening. And the idea there is The name on the back of the shirt is going to be different, but the name on the front is always the same, right? We're part of the same team. And if you think of when you have the offense on the field, you have a quarterback and you tend to think of the football team as the quarterback, but the quarterback is not effective if those big guys in the front line don't block the big guys on the other side trying to tackle them. And if those big guys on the front line don't understand what is the person to my right and left doing, what are they responsible for? And what am I responsible for? If we don't understand how that works, it's difficult to coordinate a play. And I think it's important when you use it as an analogy and you think of the role of a physician, the physician might be the quarterback, but again, without the housekeeper, without the patient transportation aid, without a respiratory therapist, without a rehab therapist, without an imaging technologist, there are all these other roles. It's a village of people that it really takes to make everything work. So what I find really important, the role that I have, I like to describe myself as an expert generalist. I can go very broad across many different topics, but I can't go as deep in many of them. But what I try to do is connect dots. And one of the things I found to be really effective when I talk about leadership shadowing, I do this every month. And what I did as I joined Ohio State is I started with shadowing myself shadowing different teams. And after about a year or so, I then asked all of my leaders, we have 60 leaders that every month we round across our areas of responsibility. Every quarter, they do one shadow experience. So not as much as what I do, but you're not going to be necessarily busier than I might be. So you can't make the excuse if I don't have the time. If I'm doing it every month, you can do it every quarter. And what's interesting is at first, there was a little resistance of how am I going to prioritize this? We're busy. We got a lot of things going on. And very quickly, people started to realize the power of these shadowing experiences and moments. And importantly, it was, I'm going to get a nursing leader to shadow in the production kitchen. 
Because when you have an issue with a patient and food, the response might be, why can't these people get it right? If you spend three hours in the production kitchen where we make three to 5,000 meals per day, what you will say is, I can't believe how seldom they get it wrong. And you shift people's minds from this orientation around judgment, why can't you do this, to appreciation. How can I help you? And I never really understood. What are the things that my team might be doing that makes your job more difficult? You don't appreciate that unless you have to physically take yourself out of your role, wear the clothes of another role, and work alongside somebody with the intention to learn and to connect. And I think that has been so important. The other thing that we did with our leaders, we have a monthly forum for leader development where we talk about the language of leadership, how we resolve conflict, how we communicate, not about our priorities, our metrics, finances. It's really about how do we work together as a team? And part of it was we can't be transactional. I can't just work with you because my department function relates to your department function. It has to be relational. But for it to be relational, we have to get to know who we are. So one of the things that we tried was, and we actually, we're still doing this. We're probably about two and a half years into this. We do what's called an appreciative inquiry interview. I randomly assign our leaders. This is directors to senior directors and above, which is about 60 people. And they get randomly assigned each month, another individual, and they meet for 45 minutes. And the questions are, what do you do outside of work? What talents are you really proud of? What are the things you wish people knew about you or that people misunderstand that you wish they did now? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your hobbies and where you like to travel. Because what you find is, I had this great experience where somebody came to me and said, you assigned me this person and I think it was random, but I'm not sure, but I didn't like this person. So when I met with them, I was a little resistant. What I learned was our parents are in the same phase of life which they're dealing with some challenges with care. We have the same hobby. We're actually going to have a monthly coffee to connect. And now we're friends. I couldn't believe it. And I heard that many times over. And all of a sudden, you start to see problems dissipate because I want to help you as a person, not why would my department service your department as a transaction. That has been a fundamental shift for the leaders in our group and that becomes an enabler for our teams then to have frictionless interactions and collaboration because our leaders go first. And that has been a really impactful and a very simple thing to do. I love that concept of the appreciative inquiry interview. I think that is phenomenal. So many times I think we get caught up in whatever is presented in front of us and typically it's something that's going wrong. And then we spend so much time focusing on what's going wrong and we don't get to understand what happened to that person in the morning today before they showed up at this meeting. Who is this person on the weekends? What else do I need to know to understand fully what's coming at this sort of situation? And I think without that context, it really doesn't let us solution in a way that's going to be sustainable because it's just looking at whatever we're presented with on the surface and there's so much more. I would agree with that. There was this image I saw once on a LinkedIn post and it was a circle, a big circle, and it said a person's life. And there was a tiny dot somewhere in that big circle that said what you know of their life. And the point of that image was 
don't judge because you don't know. When I moved to Ohio State, I moved from Philadelphia. I started in May of 20, which was as the pandemic was really ramping up. A month prior, my wife gave birth to our second daughter. So I had a newborn. We're moving to a new state. We don't have any connection with people with where we're moving. It was very challenging. And when I thought about my own experience, and there's people I work with that don't know, don't appreciate what's happening in my life outside of work. And if I apply that to others, for me personally, I used to be a very kind of regimented, structured, here's the plan, here's the timeline we're going to execute, and really focus on the blocking, tackling, and not as concerned around the emotional impact and connection with people. And through a lot of really great and deep conversations with my wife over time and then with people that I work with, I started to really lean into that side of leadership and really lean into emphasizing the need to connect, not just for me, but for others to connect with each other and create some forums, create some structure where we can enable that to happen. And a lot of that has to do with appreciating the fact that COVID, as an example, has impacted all of us in so many different ways. And it has been so difficult, I think, for all of us. And if you lose sight of that, you can rush to judgment about people, about how they show up. To your point, there's a lot of things that people might be, that might weigh on them as they show up in the day. And if you can at least provide some grace for them to get through that and to support them, you can make bad decisions or you can really disengage people or disenfranchise them because you're not treating them as a whole person. You're focused on the employee and the task, not the person. You know, I always like to say you're a person first, you're an employee second. So make sure you're caring for the person first. And then you can start talking about what do we need to do as an employee to make sure that the job gets done. But if I don't think about you as a person, I'm not going to put you in a position to be successful and realize your potential because I'm not thinking about the bigger picture. Definitely. Who we are influences what we do, but what we do is not who we are. And I think that's something that is hard in many different areas within a health system environment. But I think especially when now we have really stressful staffing ratios at times, leaders are doing bedside work, all of these things that we have going on in our health systems are so many sort of pieces. And you said this before about the shadowing experiences. People say a lot, I don't have time to take a break or I don't have time to really talk to people and let them get to know me or for me to really get to know them. What do you say when you hear, I don't have time? And how can people make time? It's a great question. To me, there's 24 hours in a day. Everybody has their own sleep habits, so however much sleep you need. To me, it's a function of priority. When I told our leadership group as we were implementing the leadership rounding and then subsequently the shadowing program was, this is a priority. So what we're going to do is act as if it's a priority. So what that means is, other things are going to have to move. We're going to create the time and space to do this, which means there's other things we're not going to do. That is by definition a priority. We're not saying in addition to everything you're responsible for, what we're saying is as a part of being a leader, this is part of what we do when we're in the office, when we're in the hospital. And I think it's really important to not just say it, I think you have to be at first, and then you can emphasize through words, you can articulate and communicate to people 
what those priorities are. But if I don't lead first and if I don't do this consistently, it's a do as I say, not as I do. If it's a priority, I also need to prioritize it because it makes it a lot harder for people than to say, it's not a priority for me then. So I think that's really important as you create the space for people to have time to connect because you can't schedule a 30-minute connection. If you really want it to be meaningful, this is why we ask if you shadow, spend a few hours with people. And what's interesting is what you find when you spend time with staff, we tend to think the problems that staff have are all these big issues, big problems as a system we have to solve. What you tend to find is the problems that they have are things like the break room refrigerator stinks and doesn't work. The nurse monitor at the nursing station doesn't work, hasn't worked. Nobody's responded to the IT ticket for months. You know, we have a hard time getting breaks because of staffing coverage. So I don't take breaks. I'm exhausted. It's those things every single day, the death by a thousand cuts. And it's not so big of an issue that you're going to tell your manager, you're going to escalate it to a senior leader. It's just the stuff that wears people down, but it's hidden in plain sight. And when you start spending time on the front lines, there's a lot of simple things that you can help people with and that we can connect them with different teams to address a problem. And it's those tiny little wins over time that starts to build trust between staff and leadership. It's not the big stuff. It's the little things to just demonstrate, one, I've asked and engaged. Two, I heard and reflected back what we talked through, what you're sharing. Three, we're making a change and importantly, closing the feedback loop as a result of what we've changed from what you told us. Is it making things better? The piece that we tend to miss is we introduce a change and assume it fixed the problem. We walk away versus saying, how is your experience now? Is it better? Did it work? Do we need to modify things? Over time, that consistency really builds the strength and relationship and really fundamentally the trust between those at the front line and the decision makers, the leaders of the different teams. Yep. And I think about what you're saying with the little moments of trust that build up. And then I think back to the story that you were telling about during the shadowing and being in the production kitchen and seeing the thousands of meals that went out perfectly and having a different reality for that one meal that maybe didn't go well and what that really means. And then the full sort of connection of the back end of what it took to get to that point, not just the outcome of this meal was messed up and now my patient's upset. That's really interesting. Dennis, one of the things that I think is just really exciting about your leadership journey is that so many young aspiring executives can see themselves in you. You are, I think, someone who is really on the forefront of innovation and constantly looking at how close you are with teams, but also where we're going as an industry. Can you talk a little bit about being in this role, being younger when you look at the spectrum of other CEOs, and what does it mean to really engage and inspire millennials Gen Z, those folks coming up through the ranks right now, where in the past, and I've been in many conversations like this, where I've been in the room where executives will say, oh, gosh, millennials, one more thing. They need this again or this. And they don't. I think there's a lot of stigma around younger generations, which may be tried and true for all generations as they look at younger generations having a similar feeling. But I'm curious about in your role and being who you are, how does that play out? 
Great question. I do a lot of mentorship. I have an administrative fellowship program. We have a great connection with our MAJ program in the university as well. So we always have students, we always have learners, in addition to being an academic health system where we have physician, nurse, pharmacy leaders amongst all other areas. So this is a topic that comes up often. I think for me personally, the reason why I've been successful in my career earlier on is the way I thought about what I do is a combination of what I do and how I do it. The what really is from a tactical improvement planning, strategy, execution, the how is about building influence, relationship, connection. And I think it's both ends. What I often tell people is it's important for you to contribute to a team and to produce results or outcomes and for people to want to work with you again. It is not sufficient to just be able to execute, get things done, but you leave a wake of bodies, you ruin relationships, or people just frankly don't want to work with you if they have the option. When you can be an invaluable team member, you can have a lot of success. And what I believe is your personal success, especially in healthcare, is contingent upon your ability to be successful within teams. So I think if you have a team-first mentality, you will, as a result, be successful as an individual. If you have an individual-first mentality, people will see that. They will see the agenda. They won't trust the direction, the contribution, because it's self-serving versus other serving. I find that to be a gap sometimes because it's like, how do I advance in my career? How do I get more money, get a better title? And my response is, take on stretch assignments. Challenge yourself in areas that you don't have any experience in. To get to where you want to go, you have to take on more than what you're doing. You have to demonstrate that you have the ability to juggle priorities, to manage your time, and importantly, to build that brand and reputation of somebody who can work well with teams. I find that so important because I'm constantly recruiting and mining for talent and really trying to identify what are the needs now, what are the needs in the future, and who are those people that we can really start tapping into. I just finished this book called Who Not How, and it's really interesting because it talks a lot about this idea of if you surround yourself with the right who's, the right people, who understand how to get things done, your ability as a leader becomes exponential. You can really amplify your effect by surrounding yourself with talented people that complement and supplement the strengths that you bring to the table. So I think it's really that other focus, which seems almost counterintuitive, but that's my guidance to younger people who aspire to lead over time is if you want to lead people, you have to be able to work with them. Really important concept. It's not about me, it's about us, because yes. me is not going to get us there. Oftentimes, you have to leave the ego at the door. You have to check it because there are times where I know I'm right, but being right is not the correct path to move forward. It's not about me being right and someone being wrong. I may say, all right, I'll agree to disagree and I will commit to the path forward, even though that's not what I would prefer, but it's the right thing for all of us. And my responsibility is what's right for all of us, not what's right for Dennis. I'm thinking mostly about those that are working at the bedside. So like frontline team members and in your role, and you talked about several sort of ways that you shorten the distance between leadership and frontline staff. I'm curious about in your experience, and even if there's a story that you can share of a time when person at the bedside was really seen for the work that they did and how that influenced 
a decision or an outcome. Because one of the things that we know is that all of these little moments add up over time and have significant ripple effect. And that really one moment can change the course of where we go. And the special magic is in those little moments, those little stories. So I'd love to hear if there was a person that you had experienced this with where you saw someone maybe in a new light for the first time and how that changed the course of where you're going. Yes. What comes to mind as I reflect on that is I had this experience with one of our housekeepers recently as doing a shadow day. The level of professionalism of the job, like really owning the role of the housekeeper in our environmental service team. Uh, my responsibility is to, one, create a comfortable and healing environment for my patient. Two, to ensure that I'm keeping it safe from infection, from dirtiness, from other things in the environment. And that initially was interesting to me to see that level of commitment to professionalism, but it wasn't special necessarily. And her name was Masan, and she is from Togo in Africa in very spiritual, very empathetic, compassionate person. And on a Thursday morning, we're shadowing. And she pulls out the list of her patients who are in the rooms that she's covering. And she asked the charge nurse, can you write their first name, like their preferred name on my list? And she pulls out a get well soon card that she bought at Hallmark. And she writes the patient's first name. And she wrote a personalized note on the inside of the card, put the card in the envelope, sealed the envelope, put the patient's name on the outside of the envelope. And then she walked into the room and said, I'm your housekeeper for today. I'm so sorry that you're in the hospital and I'm here to take good care of you. And, and I want you to know that we care about you and we hope that you get better soon. And she left the card with the patient and he was shocked. It was the only card on his table. This was a patient who's been here for about a week. And when I asked her afterwards, I'm like, why do you do that? And she said, there are a lot of people who come here and we get people from all over the state. We get people from all over the country. And she said, sometimes they don't have family and I don't need to be part of their family for them to know that I'm here for them. And I was telling this to some of our leaders and I'm like, for a Thursday morning, it is too early to cry. Just thinking about this, it was so moving. And what we did was with her permission, I asked if we can connect with our marketing team and others, because it was such a powerful experience that really, for me, solidified the importance of what we do, the mission orientation that we have, and that every job matters. Again, we tend to think about it, it's the surgeon, it's the nurse at the bedside, it's everybody, it's the greeter, it's the security officer, it's the housekeeper. All of those roles matter. And when people can understand what I do today and how that helps in creating the healing environment, how it helps improve our outcomes, how it helps improve the patient experience. I'm going to show up better each day because I know how I make this place a better place. It's that example that you've heard of the JFK, the janitor whose job is to put a man on the moon. It's that kind of connection to the mission. So for me, it was so powerful. We're going to make sure that she's no longer buying those cards out of her own pocket. And now that we know that, yeah, we're also going to be offering that to others to say, if you want to do this as well, what a wonderful way to just share support and appreciation for the patients that we care for. It was just remarkable. That gave me chills too. That is a beautiful story. Oh my goodness. And there's so many like that. And that is what is so inspiring about our field. It's just these moments that people don't even know about that our extended care teams are going to great lengths for patients 
and the impact is significant. So we don't know, but that patient might take that card home with them and may think back to being in the hospital and maybe not having family around, but feeling like he was cared for beyond that immediate treatment that he was getting. It was really more about the emotional and social support that he got too. So how special. That's amazing. And those are the things that you wouldn't know unless you took the time to spend with people. There were a handful of people on that floor that knew this is what she does and loved it, but we need everybody to know that. I think this was a great opportunity for us to engage. And I think the work that you do in the point of emphasis around connection, I find so important. And I appreciate you having a forum to amplify that message because I think it's so important. I think COVID has taught us a lot of very important lessons that I'm personally committed to not forgetting in terms of what we have and what gets taken away in those kinds of scenarios as it relates to being virtual versus being in person. My whole onboarding was virtual for the first year and a half. And I was meeting people for the first time two and a half years into being in this organization, despite the fact that I'm in the hospital every day. And the energy you get when you're with people is palatable, meaningful. Healthcare is a very special industry. And I think when we put people first, not just the patients we care for, but the employees who we serve as leaders, wonderful things happen. And it's so meaningful because we are patients, we are family members ourselves, we have friends who need care. The work we do matters and the people we work with matter. And I appreciate that you are also sharing in that message because it's what makes this industry special. And there are so many great stories like some of what I share that I would just encourage you to continue to do this because I think it's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dennis. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm Rebecca Corin. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.